Welcome to a very special live episode of Bioethics in the Margins. This episode was recorded with permission in front of a live audience at the American Society for Bioethics and the Humanities meeting in Portland, Oregon in October 2022. Thank you to those of you who attended in person, and as always, please enjoy this conversation. Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for coming. Oh, it's a uh... Saturday afternoon and late in the conference, so appreciate everyone being here. Um, today I'm here with uh, the, the whole team of Bioethics in the Margins, and we're going to talk about our podcast journey. Um, and we have no financial interests uh, to disclose, but just as a full disclosure, we are now live broadcasting uh, this as a podcast. Um, it's the first time we're doing a live broadcast. Uh, so just to be aware of that and hope everybody is, is comfortable with that. Um, okay. Um, so my name is Liz Chung. I am a, a palliative care physician researcher and bioethicist at Montefiore Medical Center and Albert Einstein College of Medicine in, in the Bronx. And um, this is what we're going to do for, for the time that we have together here. I've prepared a brief introduction about the podcast and just tell, giving a little bit of a framework of what we did. Um, but most of the time I'm going to then devote, we'll introduce the rest of our team uh, with formal introductions and have a panel presentation. And then finally, we'll wrap up. We have plenty of time to get feedback from everyone. We'd love to hear uh, your critiques of the work that we've done so far and also suggestions for uh, where bioethics in the margins might be going in the future. Um, because our, our real aim is to make this something that's a collaborative effort and that, that serves the purposes um, of, of what we want, want it to do. So um, we're looking for your, your input. Um, so just by way of background, uh, we started talking about this idea of having a podcast um, in 2020 in the setting of the COVID pandemic and George, George Floyd's murder, um, which forced us really to confront issues of racism in all aspects of our personal and professional lives. And we had discussions that were going on in the race affinity group, um, including some general dissatisfaction among many scholars about the lack of engagement with topics such as health equity, social justice, and structural racism in traditional bioethics uh, forums. Um, so that's where the idea of perhaps having a podcast is another way of highlighting the work um, that, that folks are doing. Um, and so we did an environmental scan looking at existing podcasts and found that most featured um, what I might characterize as typical bioethics topics, such as physician-assisted death, new biotechnologies, et cetera, and of course, triage in, in the setting of uh, the pandemic. Um, so uh, I drafted a, a podcast proposal um, in January 2021 um, and circulated it through the Race Affinity Group and through, through uh, contacts and, and folks that we were connected with um, to, to see uh, who might be interested in helping. And so we formed kind of a working group of several of us who were, who were interested in moving this forward. And we'll talk a little bit about how those discussions went and how we arrived where we are now. Um, but just to, to cut to the chase for the presentation part, um, we wound up uh, settling on the, the title Bioethics in the Margins. Um, and we have our, our lovely hosts, uh, Kirk Johnson and Amelia Barwise, who you'll hear from shortly. Um, and we decided that our target audience would be 
really anyone who has contact with healthcare, bioethics and medical humanities professionals, but also healthcare workers, people living with illness and disability, uh, caregivers, policymakers, and administrators. And I just, just a shout out to uh, Pablo Cuartas, who is then a medical student, is now a surgical resident, who uh, produced the music for the podcast. And again, um, through several months and multiple discussions, we ironed out the mission statement, which you can see here, um, aiming really to include topics, guests, and audiences who are not always highlighted in the mainstream bioethics discourse, uh, moving beyond tra traditional bioethics frameworks, um, focusing on structural inequity and uh, social change, um, and particularly drawing attention to intersectionality, social justice, racial justice, disability ethics, women, LGBTQ ethics, and topics specific to Black, immigrant, refugee, Native American, and Latinx populations. Um, so I'll just uh, highlight here that the, we're now starting in our, our third season. Um, and these are some of the folks that we've had uh, through, through the, first three, the first couple of seasons. We, we kicked it off with uh, Dr. Choi, who uh, talked about Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders in the pandemic. Um, Arjun Baiju uh, led us through a discussion of the problematic diagnosis of excited delirium and its use and uh, pol uh, police use of force. Um, Jennifer James joined us and talked about uh, the role of bioethics in this era of mass incarceration and uh, the carceral system. We had a, we, we finished off uh, the, that season with a, um, with a joint episode with our, our sister podcast, Bioethics for the People. Um, just an, as, as a shout out, they recently live uh, podcasted from the Unconference, so I highly recommend checking them out as well. Um, and then we started off season two uh, with Renee Riopel and Patrick Heron discussing gender affirming care. Uh, Daphne Marchenko came and spoke about social and, and behavioral geno genomics. Uh, Nicole Strand, uh, discussed critical race theory. And then we invited Gabo Aurora to talk about his work in virtual reality filmmaking, immersive storytelling, and empathy. Jennifer McCurdy came and discussed colonial geographies. And Brian Pilkington uh, did a session with us on dignity. Um, we recently kicked off uh, season three um, with, with Christopher Willoughby, who discussed history of racism in medical education. And then last week, we, uh, we published our episode with Ander Exabaria um, from the Mondragon Corporation um, on worker-owned cooperatives. And on our immediate horizon um, is all of you uh, who are part of our season three, episode three podcast, um, which we'll also edit and will be available uh, through any podcast platform that you use. And we're hoping that you'll help us map up, out uh, where we're going and in, in the future. This is just a visual representation of all of our guests that we've had so far. And, and some of the impact that we think that we've been able to achieve during this time. We've had a diverse group of interviewees, a wide range of topics uh, with different analytical approaches. Um, we have almost 300 followers on Twitter after uh, the conference. Maybe we'll, we'll reach the 300 mark. Um, we've been downloaded almost 2,000 times, and you can see our top five episodes and the numbers of downloads there. Um, so we 
we feel pretty good about the reach that we've had. So with that just brief introduction, I'm going to uh, move very quickly uh, to over to our panelists, who include Amelia Barwise, who is one of our co-hosts, and a family medicine trained physician currently working as a researcher at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester. And her work focuses on disparities in critical illness and end-of-life care among patients with limited English profic proficiency. Um, myself, uh, who I introduced as already, um, Kirk Johnson, who is our, our other co-host, um, who is an assistant professor of justice studies and medical humanities at the Montclair State University, and he focuses on intersectionality and health inequities within vulnerable populations. And uh, Nicole Strand um, is, uh, is a critical member of our team, um, and she's the assistant director of research in the Center for Urban Bioethics at Temple University. Her work is on structural determinants of health, racism, health equity, advocacy, and culture change. Um, and with that, I'm going to move over and join the panel. And we have some prepared questions, and then we'll open it up to the, to the, to the audience to ask questions as well. Uh, but to get us kicked off, uh, Kirk, do you want to talk a little bit about our process of developing the podcast? Yeah, absolutely. And um, of course, a big shout out to our fearless leader, Liz. Um, this definitely was um, her particular idea as uh, in 2020, I believe, um, when the, of course, egregious horrific acts of George Floyd, uh, we received an email from our Brace Infinity group here um, for ASBH. Uh, about um, forming a podcast, and I received an email. I was like, "Oh, this, you know, this is great." Uh, so we uh, dedicated a particular time to meet, and of course, it's the four of us. But also want to shout out um, uh, original members of part of the team: Isabel Bolo and Wendy Jang. Um, Isabel is in uh, med um, law school right currently, and Wendy's also in uh, medical school as well. And we uh, decided uh, to uh, create a podcast and figuring out, first of all, who we are. So even though, of course, we're members of ASB, ASBH, uh, everything we say and do is not affiliated with ASBH. Um, we do, or any institutions that we work with or any institutions in general, because we wanted to have a transparent platform uh, without um, having the concern or worry about um, big brother, so to speak, to say, oh, why did you say this? Or, you know, misrepresent, um, or uh, have the notion of misrepresenting um, any institutions when we interview um, anyone um, about uh, these really controversial, sometimes heavily weighted, hot button uh, political topics. Um, so with that, uh, we uh, decided on what particular platform uh, at that particular point, um, it's Squadcast, but we're trying out something new, um, and hopefully uh, it will stick in regards to um, how we interview individuals. And with uh, the particular process of the, the podcast, uh, we uh, try our best to you know, connect with individuals who we feel that really reflect um, the mission of bioethics in the margins, talking about issues for folks in the margins, uh, individuals who are often overlooked, um, not really talked about as much as they should within this uh, bohemoth uh, field that we're in called medicine and healthcare. Uh, so that is uh, 
little bit of the foundational aspect of how uh, we got started um, for this particular podcast. Anybody else want to add anything? I just wanted to talk a, a little bit. Um, thanks for, for that chat. Um, I want to talk a little bit about some of the things that were the most difficult for us when we were uh, trying to uh, flesh out this idea. It seemed, you know, when we started, it seemed like a great idea. And I, I think it's, a, it's a, a great avenue for highlighting the work of a lot of different folks. Um, but we, we struggled for, we, we spent quite a bit of time um, thinking about things like even what, what should we name ourselves? Um, and that wound up being uh, trickier than, than I anticipated. We, we started with sort of a, a placeholder name of radical bioethics um, because we wanted to move outside of traditional spheres, but then we had, we had multiple discussions about what does the word radical mean um, to different folks uh, in different places. Um, and, and we tried on a couple different other names, but we finally settled on bioethics in the margins, which I think is really a, a, a lovely way to highlight the fact that we're trying to center on the margins and looking at what has historically been marginalized and really bringing the focus there. Um, and then our mission statement, um, as you saw before, um, that, I, that I read out before, we struggled between um, trying to list out all the things that we thought were important to include, but not excluding any groups and, 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 and sort of struggled with what, what it is, is it exactly that we're trying to do here. Um, and all of this is a work in progress. So we're open to feedback and reflections and thoughts about, about that process or about where we are now. Um, and we're really interested in hearing your thoughts as well. And I'll just, I'll, I'll add in there that um, we're very aware of, of who we are and, and what we bring into the space. And you know, as, as three white women and one black man, um, we certainly have our blind spots um, but we're also aware of the, the responsibility of doing some of this work um, that, that really rests with all of us. Um, it's, a, it's a volunteer activity that we're doing uh, in our spare time on nights and weekends, so we don't want to be putting burdens on, on folks either. Um, okay. So I think I'm going to turn it over to another question for Nicole. Um, what technical aspects had to be in, put in place let me just start by saying something I should have said from the beginning, which is hello and welcome to another great episode of Bioethics in the Margins. <laughs> um, uh, so I'm the editor of the podcast, and uh, I, I don't really have a ton of experience editing. My dad is a uh, TV and film editor, so I kind of have it in my blood, I guess, a little bit. And I've, I've seen his editing technology, um, so I, I just used some innate skill, I guess. Um, no, not that good at it. Uh, I downloaded an, uh, an application called Audacity, which works pretty well. Um, kind of the key to podcasting, if anybody's thinking of starting a podcast, and this is not the ideal setup, the key to podcasting is really for everybody to be on their own track with their own microphone, right? So that way people can't really, in, you, when you edit, if people say the wrong thing or if they talk over each other, if there's weird sound, you can mute certain lines and make sure that you're only really editing and focusing on the line that you want to be hearing at the time. So we use Squadcast to do the live recording. Um, both of our co-hosts have their own microphones that they use and plug into their own computers, and then we try to send the microphone to our interviewee as well, or, or they just use any setup that they already have. And then Squadcast is able to record all three or four tracks separately, and then I use Audacity to edit. 
Um, we had the great music by Pablo Corta, so I was able to put in intros and outros. Um, so that all worked pretty well. And just going back to the first question, if you don't mind, I just want, we'll add one thing, which is that one of the things about what we're doing, or maybe what all podcasters do, I guess, is this is really an activity that, like you said, is not affiliated with anything else that we do. So it's not affiliated with ASPH, although the idea came from the Race Affinity Group, and it's not affiliated with any of the four institutions that we work for, which means that nobody's supervising us, which is great. So we have nobody to report to. And it also means that nobody's funding us, which is um, has, has a silver lining. It's a pro and a con, I think, right? It would be great to have some funding because there are things we do that cost money, and certainly our time is, is valuable. And the time of all our interviewers, it would be cool to be able to send them honorariums or buy fancier equipment. So we, we could certainly use money if we had it. But I think the nice thing about not taking money is that we really are just not beholden to anybody. Um, there's not a funding agency that can approve or disapprove a particular topic or that we need to send a copy of our podcast to, to, to have a veto power or to have editing power at all. Um, so that's, that's also a, a, a kind of a nice feature, I think. Our institutions don't have any say over what we are saying on this, on this platform. So. And uh, you're being modest, the editing skills are fantastic. We, we get rid of a lot of ums and uhs and people talking over each other. Ums, um, does, all that, yeah. Um, so uh, my next question is uh, for, I'll, I'll start with Amelia. Um, how do you how do you go about how do we go about uh, choosing topics uh, uh, for discussion on the podcast? Thanks, Liz. Um, well, we did want to highlight a lot of the work going on in the race affinity group itself. So we've had several speakers from that group, which has been wonderful. Um, and then we've used a lot of connections as well. Um, Kirk's got lots of connections. <laughs> He's um, got a lot of speakers on, or a lot of guests on to our podcast, which has been really, really good. Um, but this year we've started a little bit more to try and reach people, um, you know, through other other ways, people that we don't actually know or have any connection with. So um, the person we had from Mondragon, I'd heard about Mondragon um, on NPR, and then I'd read a bit more about it, and I just contacted their communications director, and um, we, got, we got him on. And, that was sort of an interesting um, guess that we hadn't got any connection with, but it was a, it was a good topic. Um, but we, we do want to branch out, and there's just so many topics to cover. We'd love to talk to, um, you know, people in, in all sorts of areas. I'd love to talk to um, Brian Stevenson and the Equal Justice Initiative, but obviously these people are really busy. We'd love to talk to people about, you know, climate um, justice and things like that. So. Um, you know, we're a small little group, um, but we hope that we can get some 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 of these speakers on um, to cover some of these topics. Do you have anything? Uh, yeah, and um, if any wonderful folks will also like to be a part of Bioethics and Margins, uh, you're more than welcome uh, to give us a shout out and um, particular expertise you think it's um, associated or um, is relevant to the topics that we talk about. Uh, by all means, those who are listening right now on the feed and, of course, in our room, uh, feel free to reach out to us. We, uh, we don't hate, we don't discriminate, we appreciate. Uh, so please, feel free to reach out to us. And just one other thing to add on guest selection. So we've made a pretty conscious effort to have people on the podcast that are at really different levels in their career. So we obviously have 
pretty big name expert type people um, like Dr. James. And we also have um, people who are really early in their career, people who are still in medical school. I think that's really important. Like, you know, we, I was just on a different panel where we were talking about like the creation of knowledge and who has the power to and the credibility to to create knowledge and where expertise lies and expertise lies in those students just as much as it does in the late career experts. And I think we could probably do an even a better job at that in the future. I know there's a question coming up about what we're gonna do in the future, so I'm probably jumping the gun, but thinking even more about our mission and about um, drawing out the voices of people who are themselves, you know, have a, a disability or a chronic illness or something else, the sort of more patient facing side. I think, again, there's expertise and knowledge in that as well. So we could probably also diversify our guests in that way. Yeah, absolutely. So um, we went from medical school student, for example, Arjun, our episode with Excited Delirium. He's still currently a medical student, I believe, right? Yes. And of course, we had a senior of uh, full professors like Dr. Kijo Choi from Seton Hall University, who um, deals with uh, the intersectionalities of being Asian, but also racism um, within the realms of religion, but also within bioethics. So we have individuals who are coming up, uh, developing in their own particular field. And we also uh, interviewed individuals who are uh, settled in their particular field as well. So again, as I said, we don't discriminate. We appreciate all the different levels and perspectives uh, regarding your respective disciplines. Yeah, so don't be shy to self-nominate yourself as a, as a guest, where we would welcome that very much. Um, so I, what? How, how did current events influence topic choices, or, or did they? Um, I think I had Nicole starting that one out. I mean, of course they did, right? They did in the, in the construction of how we came up with the podcast. Liz already talked about that in terms of the history and the fact that George Floyd's murder was part of the impetus. Um, and then we tried to kind of follow the news as it was uh, developing, if there were events in the news and a person who could come and talk about it. I mean, it's not a news podcast, right? So it's not instantaneous. We record and then we release within a few weeks to a month afterwards. So it can't be used like an NPR type of a thing, but we do try to track and follow the political um, situation. Cause I think, you know, part of what we're trying to do is say that the politics matters, right? I don't think we talk enough about the politics in bioethics. And so that's a privilege that we get to be able to do that. Um, also the politics and changes have influenced podcasts that we've already done. The, the poignant moment for me was when I was editing a podcast, and I can't remember now who our guest was, but one of you guys asked a question about Roe v. Wade or about abortion, and at the time it was it was still standing precedent in law, and by the time I was editing and going to release, you know, the, the Dobbs decision had come down and Roe v. Wade was reversed. So I had to go back in and edit and then talk to the speaker about how they wanted to portray, you know, what they were saying. Um, so that's that was kind of a a really sad but critical moment, I think, in this idea that the political landscape is changing right now as we're doing this work. So we need to keep talking about that. We need to keep bringing on guests that that bring that to the fore. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's exactly right. I think just to add, um, we'd love to be able to respond, you know, quickly to things and you know, put out um, sort of our thoughts about various events. Um, but that, that's been one of our challenges probably is to like how best we do that. Um, and it takes quite a lot of preparation for the podcast. So, you know, as Nicole said, it's, it can't be immediately responsive to current events, unfortunately. Um, but we're still trying to figure out how we can at least put out, you know, some comment um, about things that are happening that, um, 
you know, we'd like to be talking about on the podcast at some stage, even if it's not, you know, exactly at that moment. Yeah, and to add as well, um, uh, encouraging to, or encouragement uh, to use our uh, podcast for teaching sources or teaching aids. So for example, um, we did a great interview with um, Patrick Mar um, Marin. I would say Moran, Patrick Marin. Heron, um, say Patrick Heron. Sorry, Patrick, I was listening to this. <laughs> we'll, we'll edit that from Yeah, we'll edit that out, right? Yeah, so, um, but yeah, it was about gender affirming care and, and the uh, complexities of the LGBTQ plus community and um, their challenges navigating a not so friendly healthcare system um, about identity, about dealing with physicians that don't respect language and pronouns, about dealing with health, health insurance companies that, um, of course, don't identify with their particular challenges and they have to pay everything out of pocket. All these different complexities I used um, as a part of an assignment in one of my classes, and my students um, gained a better and a greater understanding, um, not just from my mouth, which they hear every week, but other individuals that um, actually work with uh, this particular um, demographic that are unfortunately still in the margins in many different ways, trying to fight for equity um, and equality and being treated as human beings. So feel free for those in, um, in uh, our audience uh, this afternoon, but also uh, that are listening on the podcast, feel free to use this as a teaching resource. Um, we don't speak so high in academic esoteric language that you know, no one could understand. The point of the podcast is that everyone at every level, whether you have a GED or a PhD, that the topics that we're talking about, you can learn from and are equally relevant. Um, so I think that is uh, really a core goal of what we do as well. All right, and um, I think I'll bounce it actually back to you, Kirk. Uh, what are the biggest challenges that you see going forward? Biggest thing is money. So, um, as again, we do this um, at, at our very busy schedules because every every one of us are extremely busy trying to balance, you know, regular life on top of academia, um, publications, grants. Liz just got a, a grant and she's doing great work. Um, so, uh, just having uh, the financial backing um, is a challenge. Uh, I've looked and we've looked at different organizations. Uh, that provide grants for podcasting, which isn't really a, a popular thing. They have a lot of um, descriptions on what you need to do in podcasting. So um, I think funding is a big, um, I won't say is an issue, I say it's a challenge because um, we still do what we do without the money, but I know that funding would help us um, broaden and enhance our, our podcasts, give us better equipment. Um, and it'd be lovely to give our wonderful uh, folks that actually take time out of their busy schedule, like, you know, uh, Jennifer James there, uh, to give a little friendly stipend, you know, because the work that we do in our expertise, we put a lot of time, a lot of effort. Um, so I think money is one particular um, a challenge or barrier. Uh, I also uh, think, uh, you know, trying to keep up with the uh, fluidity of our times, as Nicole said, uh, we don't have a quick response time because, of course, we need to schedule a time where all of us are available, especially um, Amelia and I, as well as our um, interviewee, the person we're interviewing, which could be, you know, if not days or weeks in advance, 
to make sure that all of us have a day cleared in our schedule that we could actually record um, as well. Um, I think also the software sometimes is a little bit challenging. Um, I'm not going to say the particular software because I don't want to be sued, even though we don't have any money. <laughs> um, uh, but there's a particular software platform we use that also gives us trouble. So trying to find a, a much more streamlined, easier platform to use um, that won't kick us out when we try to sign in and all of that, I think um, will be great. And it helps um, the interviewing process a lot more easier. Um, and equipment, you know, we do pretty good with what we have, but of course, we can um, do better with uh, much more uh, enhanced equipment for podcasting. So, um, and not to be negative, um, again, these are just different challenges, but again, we love what we do and we work with what we have and we try the best to work with, with uh, the resources that we have currently. So, anybody else want to add anything to that? So I think um, we would love, you know, help. We'd love to have an intern to help us with our mm -hmm. social media. And um, Liz does a lot of work. She's not admitting it, but she does a lot of work behind the scenes, setting mm -hmm. up our time for recording, emailing guests, um, and things like that. Um, and so that takes up time, and you know, sending out tweets, and then uploading our um, podcast every month, and things like that. So be great. We, we think we may have somebody who's going to be helping us with that. Um, but it would be great to get, you know, help with that even. Um, but it doesn't seem there's any students who are willing to volunteer right now. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're managing that right now. Yeah, uh, the challenge is um, it would be great to do, do that or intern through federal work study. Uh, but of course, as you know, a lot of students, at least at the undergrad level, um, I was trying to reel in students, but a lot of them aren't eligible, or they'd rather look for a, a particular job that pays um, more uh, money than the work study. And if you kind of remember when you were undergrad, work study wasn't a lot of money, um, and they haven't changed that much since. So, um, yeah, an intern, someone, you know, hint, hint, nudge, nudge, if you have folks in mind that are good with social media um, that are federal work study eligible, or there's other particular means uh, they could be funded. Uh, please uh, feel free to uh, let us know. Thank you. Um, and just a couple more prepared questions before we open it up to the audience. Um, so kind of thinking back about our intentions, we started out talking about our process and thinking about who we intended to reach as an audience and, and what uh, we intended to include in the podcast. Um, and I'll start with Nicole, but open up to everybody on the panel as well. Do you think uh, we're on track to achieve these objectives and what else can we be doing? Sure, we're on track. I mean, I think uh, our audience could be broader, right? I mean, I think both, both our interviewees and our audience could be broader. I think we're probably still stuck in a silo. We're like, you know, doing better than, than publishing inside of behind paywall journals, right? So it's more public than that. It's available on anybody's feed. It's available on anybody's phone. That's great. And we're hitting that those audience numbers, which is awesome. But both our interviewees and our audience, I imagine, are pretty much within the bioethics community, within the health and humanities and medicine community. And I, I really think we have an opportunity to broaden that. That's part of why we do a podcast. That's, you know, the title of this talk is something like public bioethics, right? So how can we make it more public and make it more accessible? Um, but I think, you know, we're doing a good job with our mission in the sense that uh, we, we've hit a lot of interview topics that sort of go back to that first mission. 
um, you know, we don't want to be too broad. We don't want to, we don't want to have, it, we don't want to token it, right? We don't want like one podcast on LGBT issues and one podcast on anti-black racism and one podcast on socioeconomic issues. But I think we've, we've hit almost all of those topics and now we have an opportunity to keep digging in deeper to each one of those things and, and see different angles on them and from people from different disciplines and different perspectives. So I think we're on our way in terms of really meeting that mission. And I think, you know, when we look at those numbers that you put up, Liz, in terms of our number of downloads and our number of, of our popular podcasts and all that, I think, you know, that's a bigger impact than I thought we'd have when we started this. I figured that it'd be us and our family and friends who would listen. So the fact that people are downloading and listening at all, I think is a, a, a win. I'll take it. Yeah. Okay. Okay, Amelia, you wanna? Wanna add to Well, I'll just add that um, that's a really good point, Nicole. Um, you know, I mean, think about this conference, you know, it's bioethics. I know it brings in different disciplines, but there are a lot of people out there doing work. They don't consider themselves bioethicists, but they're doing like really important ethical work and they just don't classify themselves. And so we really want to kind of reach them as well because that work's important and, you know, may actually be having, you know, a huge impact that we're not sort of recognizing. So um, lots of work going on that's not called bioethics that we want to bring to bioethics and the margins. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and in terms of our reach, um, actually we had um, a, a handful of uh, really uh, awesome instances throughout the uh, you know our conference here in Portland uh, that um, folks are listening, which was surprising to at least to me. Um, like one person stopped me and said, "Hey, I know you're you have a familiar voice. Are you that guy in that podcast?" As I was talking in the hallway after a session, I was like, "Oh yeah, bioethics and Mars." Like, yeah. And then yesterday, uh, we were uh, preparing for today, and we met um, an individual named Jasmine, who I don't think she's in the audience, but she was like, oh, yeah, listen to, uh, uh, she, I think she's based out of uh, Pennsylvania, and she also listens to our podcast, and many other um, individuals who, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, listen to one episode. So it was really encouraging that, you know, our peers as well uh, listen to uh, different episodes. Uh, even if you listen to one, it, it, you know, it's awesome. We prefer to listen to as many as you can, but even one is um, awesome. So again, shout out and uh, thank you to everyone uh, for your support. I also wanted to mention that as well. Yeah, thanks. I think that's a, a great moment to move on to, to um, I'll ask the panelists first, but then we'll move straight from this question into the audience participation. And the question really is what is in store for Bioethics in the Margins next. And this is for anyone want to take it first? I mean, I think I've already said a lot, right, about how we're going to diversify, I think, our, our interviewees. I think, you know, we want suggestions from people about who we could interview, but also topics that we're missing. So I think what's in store is more uh, a deeper dive into these topics that we've covered, but also new topics and new epistemic perspectives, right? Different kinds of different versions of expertise, I think, is in store. Hopefully better software and better mics are in store um, right. and more people listening. Yeah. We are also um, working on a website, so right. that would be exciting. And um, we'll have our episodes there as well as through the podcast platforms like Spotify. Um, and then we'll also try and upload people's work. So if we've talked to a guest, we will have their articles and the things that we read before we interviewed them and the things that they want to promote about the topic they discussed 
on our website. So I think that will hopefully also have good reach um, and just be a place for people to refer even um, as a resource if they want to listen and explore more about what that person was discussing on the podcast. Um, also, for further future, uh, also um, the fun fact, this is the first time we actually physically been in the same, well, actually yesterday was the first time. Um, we've talked so much throughout the pandemic, but because of, of the geographical um, restrictions and of course, because of the pandemic and quarantining, we met so many times on Zoom and other particular platforms. So when we actually met for the first time yesterday, it was really cool. So it was really a unique experience. Um, also, a fun fact, uh, Nicole is not only our um, uh, audio engineer, but also she's the one that created the logo, uh, Bioethics in the Margins. Um, and of course, we're wearing hoodies, which have been very popular. So a, a future thing to look out for um, is that we're going to be selling merchandise. What, what will that look like? We will, uh, of course, have a, a conversation, but the hoodies you see now, um, I won't say the exact replica of these hoodies, but the hoodies that um, you see now will, will be available, um, I'm imagining when our website is up and running. Um, probably with hats as well and other knickknacks, uh, and that will be a, a particular avenue for fundraising when we continue to figure that out um, you know, in the weeks and months ahead. Yeah, and, and uh, what Kirk didn't tell you is that he designed these sweatshirts, and I have to thank you so much because yesterday I was just freezing all day long, <laughs> and now I'm nice and cozy in this wonderful sweatshirt. So awesome. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> um, so with that, I, I'm going to move on to uh, having you all um, give your input. We have quite a bit of time left. I'm going to switch. Mike, can you also hear me? Hear me? It's pretty small group. Okay, so um, the QR code there is just, uh, it just will take you to the, the plat one of the platforms where you can listen to the podcast. Um, but what, what we'd like to get some feedback from you both in person and um, if you're joining us virtually is uh, what topics would you most like to see on the podcast? Um, any questions for the panelists, which you can um, stand up and, and ask here and we'll, we'll probably repeat your questions so that uh, folks joining online can hear you hear what the question was, um, suggestions, reactions, criticisms, um, and please uh, you can direct message us through Twitter, um, at, and that that the Twitter handle there is at be in the margins um, with any speaker suggestions. And right now I'll be moderating that too, so uh, you can ask us questions via Twitter or ask us questions in person. And finally, uh, we also have a, uh, a, a poll everywhere going. So uh, if you want to text Liz Chung 756 to 37607, you can join or go to polleverywhere.com, Liz Chung 756, and tell us uh, what you think is a neglected topic in bioethics. And we'll make a, a nice little word cloud from that, which I'll share back with you. Um, so, uh, and, and we'll, we'll continue to use Twitter for now, for as long as, as we are able. We don't know what the future of Twitter will be, but um, as of today, we can still use it as a tool. Um, so with that, I'll, I'll open it up. Yeah. Liz, can you repeat the poll everything? Yeah, so the poll, 
the poll everywhere. You can either go to pollev.com, that's P-O-L-L-E-V.com, and enter Liz Chung, that's L-I-Z-C-H-U-A-N-G-756, or text that Liz Chung 756 to 37607. And what we're asking is what do you think um, in, in a word is a neglected topic? Uh, if, if you do it in one word, that tends to work better for the word cloud, but what you think is a, a neglected topic in bioethics? Oh, excuse me. Because um, we're recording, uh, if you could use uh, the mic as well, please. Thank you. Hopefully, it's on. Let me. Well, I'll start by saying that ultimately we did, as you noticed, we retained um, the, the word radical in our in our tagline rather than in our title. And I, I think that's a, a great um, I think that's a great question because you know the the idea of centering on the margins is to bring voices in and make we what ideally we, what we'd like to see is actually uh, what we've seen a little bit of at this this conference um, this year, which I think we're in a different place at ASBH than we were a couple of years ago when we started uh, thinking about this podcast and and in a good way that we we would want these voices to to be at the center and no longer on the margins. Um, did, did other folks have stuff to add? I mean, it's a really good question. I think um, <clears throat> I have noticed like a distinct, and not just me, I, I, I've talked to other people who've noticed a distinct, um, how do I phrase this, at ASBH in a way that's not offensive to ASBH. Um, uh, dearth of, uh, of like a real, Con confrontational conversation happening here, uh, except for in a couple of little pockets about power and uh, uh, about, um, you know, we talk a lot about people who are marginalized, you know, people of certain races who are marginalized and why we need to do more bioethics to focus on them. But I don't actually think we talk that much about radical ideas and about how uh, power infects everything that we're doing, especially if we are bioethicists who are working in the medical field, which is just infused with capitalism and, and, and power dynamics. Um, and so I think that that is what we meant, right? So we want to actually center those things. We, we want to have those conversations more in the public square and less in the side ways that we have them now, right? I find that we go to our panels and then we meet each other in the hallways and then we see the people who we know share our values and we say, hey, can you believe that that panel didn't talk about power or talked about vulnerability in this way? Or frankly, we've been in some panels that you know referred to black people in X way. 
or you know, right, still talking in ways that are really kind of regressive. Bioethics should be moving past that, but we're not actually talking about that in public. So I think that's what we meant. And I think that's why we retain the word radical. And I think we, we want that conversation to be more central. I guess, I hope I, hope I answered you. Yeah. <laughs> there was no Hello, and thank you. My name is Constantine. I'm a graduate student in the Master of Bioethics program at Harvard Medical School, and I'm also an EDID fellow for Harvard Wild, which is you know, equity, diversity, inclusion, and belonging, as we call it. And uh, I have a, an idea, you know, listening to you <clears throat> and quickly reviewing the topics from the podcast. Um, what exactly what you are saying? Because one of the, to me, uh, most uh, important uh, bioethicist with a huge legacy now that he passed away recently and he never called himself one is the late Paul Farmer who was essentially a medical anthropologist <coughs> excuse me, and a, and a clinician by training, co-founder of the Partners in Health but uh, now, uh, now meaning since his passing I've been using uh, in any kind of ethical dilemma or conversation in our programs in clinical ethics you know uh, something as a rule of thumb, what would Paul Farmer do here? What would Paul Farmer say here? And two of the great, uh, let's say, words of wisdom or statements that he used and he kept repeating, one was the expert mercy, the notion of an expert mercy, and I can tell you more for folks who might be wondering what this is, and the second is, what I'm also wearing in my wrist on is accompaniment, the notion of accompaniment. So I think that if there were to be something that would, with the opportunity of the late Paul Farmer, would highlight people who had really been agents of change and have driven change and impacted, you know, beyond the borders of the United States, uh, those who were suffering and, you know, those who were poor, and spoke truth of power as well. Uh, maybe this would be one idea of maybe focusing on what expert nurse is or can be for us as bioethicists and what is accompaniment. So this is just an idea again, but uh, beyond Paul Farmer, maybe thinking of folks who did not go around, not, not purposefully of course, but did not identify as a bioethics first and foremost, but what they did was especially uh, social justice broadly defined, which is something that we really need, I think. Mm -hmm. So just food for thought, thank you. Thank you. towards certain kinds of communication tools like Facebook or Twitter or podcasts in your case, or TikTok. So how do you break through some of those barriers? If I'm someone who never listens to podcasts, that's just not in my universe, I didn't know about this, this is such a great opportunity. 
Have you thought about ways to pull in those other members of other communities that maybe don't look at or listen to podcasts that are that can get a snippet of the podcast on TikTok or Instagram or some other social media platform to start pulling people in? Because I think there are some extraordinary creators on those other platforms that would be the kind of audience that you want and also yeah, thank you for that. And I, I, I agree. And I think I've, well, I've noticed in my teaching that uh, Twitter, Facebook is, is already completely ancient and Twitter is also now, sadly for me, for, for old folks. <laughs> um, so I, I think, I do think that, that TikTok is the, the latest thing. Um, and, and I think I, I appreciate that. I think there's always going to be a, a, a new or a, a, another avenue to reach people. And that's, that is one of our, our hopes in the future um, as we're sort of developing is, is how can we reach into those um, new spaces, which might require additional people. <laughs> but, um, well, yeah, that's definitely on the horizon for us. Did, did anybody else want to comment? Yeah, sure. Yeah. You could come uh, just uh, uh, to piggyback off of what Liz said. And we did have uh, conversations about, because right now we just do audio, uh, maybe actually recording our podcast as well, which requires, you know, actually wearing, you know, not like, you know, hanging out, chilling in the house type of clothes, but you don't want to look presentable because you're going to be published, um, um, you know, and a lot of hundreds of people, if not thousands of people, are going to be listening uh, to you. But also like YouTube Shorts or YouTube, I think it's called YouTube Shorts as well very popular amongst uh, Gen Zers and um, younger millennials. So just looking at other uh, platforms to see um, how we could have a broader reach as well. So. And just one more thing, because yeah, the social media, that, that that's true. We should do all those things, but I kind of want to pull on the theoretical point you're making too, which is that we should, I said earlier that bioethics should be thinking more about politics and influenced more by politics and politics, what's happening in the midterm elections and all that stuff should be in these rooms in ASBH, but also we should influence politics more, right? And like, I, I think I said on one of our podcasts that um, we need like an educated public in order to be a democracy, you know, that kind of feels like it's failing right now because of the polarization and the different you know silos that people are in and people are actually operating off of different facts right now, which is causing them to implement their values differently and vote differently and therefore like change the course of history and like drive us towards fascism probably, um, which is really bad. So, uh, so like somebody else needs to do the thinking about how we get podcasts like this and the kind of information that we talk about in conferences like this in a, to a more public space, to a more democratic space. But I guess I just want to emphasize the point that we need to do that because it, it's, you know, if we don't have an educated public, then we're, we're doomed. I think. <laughs> Absolutely. Well said. Yeah. Uh, I have a couple of thoughts and I, and I think one, one specific question. So recognizing that sort of the story that you told us that you were all involved, you all have full-time jobs, you don't have a ton of time to to, um, to dedicate to like continuing to grow and grow and grow this, I'm assuming. But just an idea that I, I think creating um, curriculum-based questions. So you, I think, some, I can't remember who said that they use it in school class. Yeah, so I think um, there are a lot of educators out there that are looking for creative ways to educate around issues in bioethics that don't aren't just assigning another reading thing, especially for there are so many students 
who for reading is really a hard thing to do um, and are not learners in that way. So it might be nice to create a curriculum based even just four or five discussion questions to be how to bring that into the whatever classroom setting. So that's like a thought that I had. Um, and then the question that I had is, I think Liz, maybe at the beginning of but when you were introducing it, you said we're very aware of who we are. We're three white women and one black man. And I'm just interested, as you navigate these challenging issues, I assume you, I'm going to make a huge assumption here. And I actually use the word assumed, which is funny because we were discussing that. Um, but um, my assumption is that you are somewhat like-minded politically and about some of these issues. So I wonder a little what mechanisms you use, especially um, the interviewers to think, what am I not seeing here? What am I not asking? How am I not contributing to sort of a, a cycle of like an echo chamber, even if it's the echo chamber you'd love to live in? And how are we, are we asking the hard questions? So how are you in preparation for these interviews and thinking about them actively being aware of the lens from which you like gaze and challenging maybe yourself to ask some of the questions that might not be the popular questions or might not give the answers that are sort of aligned with your values. Mm -hmm. I guess that's us. You should go. Go ahead, Amelia. <laughs> <laughs> we just give you the easy questions. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good point um, because when we interviewed um, Ander from Mondragon, it was like I was swept away by this idea of this amazing place where there's no homelessness, there's very good income equality, like it's a six to one ratio from worker to CEO. Um, everyone's got a great quality of life, everyone's got healthcare. I mean, it sounds just the perfect place. Um, and, you know, it was very hard to really think of anything that you could critique. Um, but and, you know, you come away and you're like, oh, maybe I should have asked that. So, you know, it's hard, and I think we probably do agree, we haven't directly discussed politics, but I think we imagine that we we, 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 we do agree on a lot of things. Um, so, you know, it's true, we try and ask hard questions, um, but sometimes I feel we're really a way of just letting people share their views on what work they've been doing. Um, it, you know, it's not meant to be a, a sort of, um, you know, an argument um, like you might have on news media. It's meant to be a way of people, um, you know, sharing all the things that they've been doing, why it's important. Um, I'm, I'm trying to learn as well. And, you know, a lot of we, I, you know, I really do spend time preparing because I'm really learning so much. Um, and, you know, just trying to become more knowledgeable about these, you know, issues. Um, but probably that's something in the future we should try and think of other perspectives, maybe, and um, include those. But yeah, thank you. Yeah, um, also, um, um, I, I, because uh, my background, I'm a clergy, so I always ask questions, because that's my training, as well as being a medical humanist. So I always ask questions, and I think sometimes I kind of annoy some of our interviewees, with questions, um, I, I know uh, that I ask questions and sometimes say that's out of my purview or that's not in my discipline, or a lot of them try to dodge it because even though we're not confined to um, 
you know, institutions as you know, a person interviewing someone, they are. And a lot of times they're scared to uh, truly express how they feel because, of course, they're going to put this on their CV that they were interviewed and, you know, they figure, God forbid, if I say something that might tick off, you know, my superiors at my institution, you know, I don't want to put myself in, you know, jeopardy. So um, even though uh, we try our best to be unfiltered, I know sometimes we have interviewees that are filtered because of that um, concern as well. Um, another thing uh, is that we actually send our questions out uh, before we actually interview our interviewee so they know exactly what um, we're going to ask them and they could be prepared for that as well. Um, but, but definitely a good question is something that uh, we could consider a different approach um, in shaking up things a little bit um, when we interview someone. So thanks for sharing. First of all, I love the idea of doing sort of a mini didactic series. Um, maybe uh, we can we can think about that in the future. So thank you for that. Um, I'll also I'll add. I, I agree with Kirk and Amelia. I'll add that you know this this gets to you know there's multiple reasons for doing the podcast and multiple functions that we're trying to achieve with it. Um, and one of the core functions, at least. In, in my mind, um, has been to highlight the work and, and sort of give a, give a space to, to for for people to get their work out into the public sphere in a way that highlights it in a positive way. So I, to to me, that that's also very important. I want to I want to allow people to to sort of shine and, and show off the the wonderful work that they're doing when they come um, on our show. So. Um, so we may not do as well in some other domains for the sake of, of doing well in that domain. So I think there's, there's always trade-offs in, in, in thinking back on what, what the main objectives of the podcast are. But thank you. Can I ask one more question from here? Yeah. Absolutely. I forgot to ask this at the end. Um, do you make transcripts available to make it more accessible to people who might not be able to listen? And if not, have you considered, like, because podcasts are really aimed towards people who can, who are hearing, um, are there ways to hmm. make your content more accessible so that you can um, acknowledge people with disabilities and who are on the margins and allow them to, to partake in what you're creating? Yeah, fantastic question. Um, and I hope that, you know, as, as we alluded to, we're, um, we will be creating a, a website. So I think that will be a place where we could have different kinds of content, like like text and, and other, uh, think about doing other modalities. And, and as I think Kirk mentioned, doing um, some video. Um, so definitely uh, appreciate that that input. Thank you. Hello, long time listener, technically second time caller. <laughs> I have a comment and a question. My comment is the bone I have to pick with you all, especially now that you're talking about video, which is when I was a guest, I was sent detailed instructions of how to make sure I had the best audio possible. And I sat on the floor of my children's closet with towels along the walls, and everybody else was just sitting in their living room. So I just want to know the sacrifice I made to participate. 
such a good experience. I'm really glad that I did. And you were the only guest who followed this instruction. The only dual follower in the entire field of bioethics. But your audio was great because of it. Uh, Your audio was great. And it sounded fantastic. Yeah. That was a really cool experience. Yeah. We appreciate you, Jen. We appreciate anyone, you. I just want, mostly I want to say, if anyone's listening who's like, this seems fun, is it hard? Is it scary? Like, no, they made it really easy. It was a really fun conversation. Great to talk about my work. So if you're asked to go on the podcast, you should. It's awesome. Please do it. Um, and then my question, which I slightly forgot as I was talking with my other non-important comments, um, oh, I guess I was just sort of curious how you all sort of grapple with some of the realities of doing public work, and I, I'm curious if it ever feels scary. Like, is it hard to like put this out in the world, and how are people going to respond? Have you had people send you like angry comments about what you said or what someone else has said, and just how do you grapple with the reality of like anytime you put stuff out in the world, people can critique it, but like the internet is. I mean, peer, you know, you were too scary, but the internet's scarier in a very different way. And I'm curious how you all approach that in doing that. Um, Liz, yeah, I can, I can talk a little bit about that. So uh, I think um, over time, I've gotten less worried about that. I, I think in the beginning, that definitely felt scary, especially when you see how you know things can be edited and different things can be picked out of context in ways that. Um, uh, that could be damaging. And we actually have thought about that, not that often, but a couple of times it's come out, up and we've asked uh, Nicole to do some editing because uh, just the way, you know, a natural conversation, we knew what we were talking about, but it could, when I heard a specific sound, but I was like, wow, if that was like ever taken out of context, it sounds like we're saying something cra completely crazy or, mm -hmm. you know, so, um, mm -hmm. so that's, you know, the important thing of being able to do um, some editing process, which I, obviously we can't do today because we're we're live on the air. Um, but but yes, it, it it can be it can be intimidating. Um, yeah. Anything else? Wanna... Yeah. Yeah. Um, also, um, we send back the uh, interviewee the full uh, audio clip. So if anything that they felt that was misconstrued or misinterpreted, um, we could edit that out. Uh, that has happened quite some time, we actually had an instance where we had um, a person pass away un unexpectedly and unfortunately, and we were planning on uh, publishing. And of course, we still have held that because we haven't reached out to that individual's family to just, you know, out of respect for that person to say, hey, um, I think we were actually her last interview because after, we did, after she did the interview, uh, she um, you know, passed away, I think a, a week later, it was really quick. Um, so we always try to give that um, flexibility to the interviewee. If anything, uh, we, they want us to edit out, we will edit out. Um, in regards to receiving hate, um, you know, messages or anything of that nature, I don't think we actually have like a, do we have like an email address or anything folks could like contact us? <laughs> I don't think so. People can DM me on Twitter. They could DM, <laughs> yeah. They could like DM us on Twitter or post um, on Twitter, but there's no, at least at this moment, of course, I believe that would be more official when we have our website. Um, but for the most part, um, and I think also with the radical, the language, radical language, that could be misinterpreted as well. Um, but for the most part, it's been really, thankfully, knock on wood, um, has been really positive feedback. and. Um, hopefully, it will continue. And of course, if we offend someone, 
you know, you're always going to offend somebody with something, especially when you are trying to go against uh, systems of oppression um, and um, hierarchy, you're always going to offend someone. And actually, I think it's a good thing that we might offend someone. Hopefully, this won't be legally liable in compliance. But that means that we're doing the work, that we're doing something right when we push against the grain and the status quo. Um, but yeah, so far, thankfully, there was no like negative uh, comments or um, any threats or anything of that nature. So, anybody else want to add? Yeah, I'm just sorry. You want to go? I'm just thinking about how in this current climate, anything we do, even in private, can kind of be. You know what I mean? I mean, we've got teachers who are talking about critical race theory, or even just like saying racism is real, or saying their pronouns in class. And like somehow, some way, there's like a video of that and then the school board is talking about it and then it's all over TikTok. So there's like almost no privacy in this realm anyway. And we're talking about exactly those topics that get people in quote unquote trouble, um, which I think is all the more reason to do it, even though it's scary, right? Like I, I like the idea, I, I hope that the first thing people are seeing when they Google critical race theory isn't anywhere close to my podcast that I did on this that's about critical race theory, that there's like, uh, you know, hundreds and thousands of other sites before that. But I like the idea of contributing to that body of, of public work such that that student who, who almost heard about critical race theory and then it got shut down, when they Google it, there's some place for them to go to get some good information, some real information. I think that's kind of why we're doing this, right? Boiling down again to like the point of doing this in public is that it's harder and harder to have these conversations in certain spaces. And so the fact that a podcast is available to anyone, hopefully means we reach some people who otherwise wouldn't have heard it, which is scary, but I think important. Yeah, I was just gonna add, I think probably a lot of people listening wouldn't have views that would cause them to get sort of really upset with us at the moment. Um, you know, I do find it quite scary in the podcast. I mean, I was not the original, did not volunteer to be the original host. And so I, I do find it quite scary and the technology can be quite intimidating and can let you down and that can be really frustrating. And we've had uh, one episode where Liz had to step in because I just could not connect somehow to... Um, that software. To, to the software, yes. Don't say. Um, <laughs> So it is quite scary, um, but and you know I've started to tell friends about it now. But you know, it's not I'm not like, advertising it. I mean, I know we should be advertising it, but I'm just cautious. Just for it's not because of the topics. It's just me personally. I'm just you know it's just a new thing for me to be on podcast. So. And and that was a, a true tragedy because my voice is not nearly as fun to listen to as it would be like. Yeah, thank you. I, I, I agree with everything that's been said. And, and you know, it, and that's absolutely right. I think uh, if we're not doing the things that are a little bit scary, then we're probably not doing the work. Yeah. You pretty much wrapped my question up, really, when you talked about the school stuff. But so I have two children. I'm a podcast lover. Can't wait to rock, uh, listen to all of these. But um, I just I have a college student who is a freshman, and she said, Mom, I just have this great topic I'm going to write about, Native American boarding schools. Mom, did you know? And I was like, oh, of course I knew. And it, it comes to the topic of these great topics in bioethics. You know, I think getting it out to individuals beyond the bioethics community is so important. But even thinking about youth, and you know, it is about bravery, right? Getting out there and, and letting, you know, you hear about these things and develop our future, right? The future that's gonna that, that's coming. 
Um, and so I just wanted to say, what's your thoughts about that, the topics of bioethics, and you know, utilizations of these podcasts in ways of getting um, you know, into schools, maybe even talking you know, from political science, from psychology classes, things like that. I mean, it was just, I almost felt like I had done a disservice to my daughter about not getting deep into some of these topics, and she just feeling like, a world opened up in college that I feel like early on maybe she should have had access to that world. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I really like the idea that, that one of the audience members and that you now have reinforced about being able to use the podcast as a, with an, along with some educational companion of some sort, some discussion questions, or even just like a little outline. You could use it in this kind of class, in this kind of format, assign it in this kind of way, or pair it with this reading or whatever. I feel like we could do that with our back catalog and then do that in, in, in the future. And I like the idea of aiming it at even high school students. I mean, I think it would be appropriate, certainly for college students and medical students and law students, but I think high school is probably as low as we could go, but I think would be appropriate too for most of the topics. Mm -hmm. And I think we should do. Yeah, and I like that framing because I think if we have that in mind going forward too, is we may be able to craft our questions and, and push our interviewees, not necessarily uh, in the way of, of Still, still, with the aim of um, disseminating their work in, in a positive light, but push them to express themselves in a way that maybe a high schooler could understand, and that might sort of for, be a way of like reminding ourselves and forcing ourselves to make it more accessible by having the, a target audience audience member that that uh, isn't necessarily a, a bioethics professional. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, and just FYI, if you haven't looked at the Kennedy Institute of Ethics. They have a repository mm -hmm. of high school syllabi on bioethics. Mm -hmm. So never you don't need to start from scratch where there's some content. Thank you. Sure. Is this gonna be you volunteering to be on the podcast? Because otherwise I don't want to hear it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is a question about I guess knowledge generation, and I'm interested in the ways that so far, we are focusing on learners beneath us, I guess, in a way, right, quote unquote. Whereas I'm wondering where you see yourselves as potentially disruptors of knowledge generation at the, you know, the level of the academy, right? Like you're describing people coming in to promote their work, but what if this was the work, right? Like the conversation that you're having, um, you know, what 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 does new media hold for us? in terms of like stopping publishing a journal. Like I find myself more interested in conversations that I have with other smart people than in reading journal articles by those smart people. That's just me mm -hmm. personally. But you know, like what, what does this, or could podcasting and other forms, I guess, of more discussion-based, um, which is I think like, you know, that's the stuff that a lot of us got into the creative planning before, right? To, to talk to people and talk about ideas, get them in, having to like distill them, and little down our words and you, you know like do you guys see yourselves as having a, a role in radicalizing I guess knowledge production? Yeah thank you for that question. Um, I think it also goes back to um, who we're interviewing because a, a lot of times um, and y'all know I try to I like to push buttons and ask questions and um, a lot of times our interviewee um, like deferred because of, again, and I don't want to sound redundant because I said this before, but they deferred really having that transparent conversation because of, you know, their title at a particular, you know, institution. 
um, I'm sure if we weren't being recorded um, and we were just talking like, well, we're being recorded now, but if we were just talking like we're out in the hallway talking, they could really be transparent um, within that. Um, and that speaks to the overall issue of, you know, the, you know, the gatekeepers at the different levels of um, um, academia, even through K through 12, where you're talking about your uh, high school um, uh, daughter in high school, we're really fighting um, gatekeepers at every level, trying not to have a transparent history, a transparent conversation. It's a lot of filtering, it's a lot of censoring. And it's pretty sad that you could go to the movie theater or listen to a podcast and get more transparent, raw history than in your actual textbook, right? And that's a whole nother um, issue, which I'm not trying to go off in a tangent here. Um, but I, our hope, and at least my hope as well, is that we'll have more transparent conversations um, without um, our interviewee worrying that they're going to be reprimanded or be written in, in some black book somewhere uh, when they actually share their honest thoughts and opinions about really pressing topics. Um, so that is my experience, of course, co-hosting. Um, Amelia, Cole, Liz, would you like to add anything else to that? I mean, to your point, I mean, you you listen to podcasts all the time. I listen to podcasts all the time. I, what I like about podcasts is that they're conversational. The the level of, of jargon and speak is usually at a, a lower level or a more accessible layperson level, which I think is exactly why we're doing this. Like, we, we don't want to use the words we use in the journals. We want to use the words we use when we talk to each other in the hallways. Um, and that's why I think you should come on the podcast because... <laughs> I concur. <laughs> if you if you were to hand somebody like the CEO of a health system or the head of a section or the chair of a, of a particular group in medicine, a journal article about trauma-informed care and why they should implement it in their section, one, they're not going to read it. Two, they may not understand it. There may be concepts they needed before. And three, like it doesn't have that sort of like gripping storytelling element that you can add in a podcast, which is why if you come on and talk about trauma-informed care, then we can send the podcast to those people. Right. And I actually think I'm being serious a little bit. Right. Like um, what kinds of media people are willing to consume or, or read slash listen to and like how those particular kind of stories hit them and grab them it really matters. Like if, and I think for the purpose of doing advocacy through teaching, through education, not just educating people, quote unquote, below us, as you said, but people above us too, to change their practices and systems, to radicalize ASBH, to become more, you know, talk about power more or whatever then we need to use the podcast to do exactly that, I think. I just want to acknowledge that we're, we're actually over time now, um, uh, but I'm happy to hear more comments. And I just wanted to, before we wrap up, shout out and say thank you for everybody who um, submitted their neglected topics. We will be reviewing this and, and having a look. This is, There's this so is many, amazing, yeah. and it's what's really striking here, yeah. just looking at it, is how violence is, is the largest word here. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I think that's very profound. I find that being a member of the academy and its demands for productivity in terms of writing and blah, 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 um, you know, where I've been told like podcasts don't really matter. And I'm like, but maybe they do. So a challenge that I think you can do in that last example of, hey, somebody wrote this really cool article, we interviewed them, and then we shared that transcript with the leadership of XY 
to be able to write a letter back to that person to say, your podcast really helped us inform our strategy for doing thus and so. Maybe reshapes that lack of understanding that this is another medium that we need to understand how to capitalize on. Yeah. Okay, that behind the firewall does not make a damn bit of difference right. if we're not changing people's lives. And maybe this is this is that space. So I, I would really think that that could help mm -hmm. um, maybe entice people to come. Yeah. Right? Because it's, it's, it's fairly simple to write the letter, right? It, it, especially with that example of using it to change something yeah. and to be able to say, we took it here and this thing happened. Thank you so much. It looks pretty good at the dossier. So I love it. I love it. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So th thank you all for participating. Um, we had a, a lot of uh, open forum discussion, so I really appreciate uh, we actually went over time, so there was a lot of engagement. So uh, appreciate that so much. Thank you for listening to another great conversation on bioethics in the margins. This podcast is hosted by Amelia Barwise and Kirk Johnson. Our producer is Elizabeth Chung. Our editor is Nicole Strand. Our theme music was written and produced by Pablo Cuartas. And we are grateful for the assistance of Wendy Jung and Benjamin Foster. Join us again next time.